0: Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Ephesians chapter 4. I was... Looking at a sermon that Ray Stedman preached. Ray Stedman went to be the Lord a long time ago. Um, But he's someone who's, again, another one of those I have never met who've blessed my life. And he preached a message on this passage that we're looking at today, and he entitled it Forgive and Live. And I thought, that's such a great title, it needs to be resurrected. (laughs) So I'm going to steal it, I'm going to borrow it from Ray. I don't think he'll mind. Forgive and live. Don't forgive and slowly die. I'm done. Some of you are like, yay! It's a miracle. Jesus is alive. All right, don't cheer too loudly. All right. Ephesians chapter 4, Lord, speak to us. Not my words, but yours. Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 4, verse verses 30. We'll start in 30. Um, 31 is really the 31 and 32 are really the text. But um, let's look at verse 30 just to again bring it back into context. Verse 30 was where it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm not going to take a lot of time here, but let me tell you something. You cannot grieve some... Grief is a part of love. If I don't love you, I'm not grieved by you. I might get angry at you or be resentful. But to be grieved by you, I have to love you. It's attached. Which is a really amazing thing when you think about the Holy Spirit loves us that much. He's grieved by us. He goes on, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. One other little thought here. Again, it's it's a tangent, not really a tangent, it's a whole idea that we could pursue. One of the reasons I believe in the fact that when the Holy Spirit, when I am born again, when I believe in Jesus Christ, that it is done. It's a done for deal, D-O-N-E, done. One of the reasons I believe that is because of this passage, because what does the seal do? Think about it. If you take an envelope and put something in it and seal it up, what have you done? Two things. You protect from loss, what's inside falling out, but you also protect from outside invasion, that which is not supposed to be there getting in. All right. The scripture says the Holy Spirit is our seal as believers. When we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our seal That seal that stays, that keeps, there's not loss, and he protects against invasion until we arrive at our final destination. And it is an incredible thing to think about that, that God himself is the seal on our heart and life. He says, I am the, I'm the down payment. I'm the, Earnest payment, it says in another passage of Scripture. I'm the down payment on what Jesus Christ has done in your life. I mean, there, there's so much richness in that, in that verse of Scripture. But let's look at verse 31. That's where we are today. Verse 31 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Years ago, about 18 years ago now, we were in the old facility in the old place down on Glenham. And I invited, I was not, I was not the senior pastor at that time. I was one of the associates and I made a suggestion of inviting someone to come speak that I had met, uh, Laurie and I had met in ministry years earlier. He was a missionary to Papua New Guinea. And um, Otto Koenig was his name, and it was someone that I didn't have a close relationship with, but I had met him in in several different occasions. And he had written a book called The Pineapple Story, and it was really his life message. It was a story about how on the mission field, as a missionary in Papua New Guinea with his wife and small children, God began to do a greater work in him. He thought he was there to save the heathen and the lost, but God really wanted to do a tremendous work in him, not just through him. And one of the things that he shared about that was a tremendous struggle and had always been in his Christian life was he struggled with being angry, being angry and being stingy. So he goes to a place, he said, where they have world-class thieves, all right? They steal everything. And so he said, it was incredible. He said, my wife would put a shirt out on the line and before it could get dry, they would steal it. He said, they would steal, they would steal the, the diaper pins. Back in the days when you still had to pin cloth diapers, you know, the whole deal before they had disposable ones. They would steal the diaper pins and put them in their ears. And um, he said, one day I was out front and one of the natives came up to me and he's talking to me and he said, I look at him. He said, because they often had bones and things in their nose. And he said, I'm looking at him and he's got my ballpoint pen in his nose. <laughs> he said, I yanked that thing out of there. Give me my pen. he wash it real good. He said, they're stealing everything. And so I'm trying to share that. He said, I'm sharing the gospel with them. We're running a clinic. We're doing all these things. And, um, and he tells this story and he goes into a lot of detail. And it's, it's funny, but it's also, there's all truth in it. And he talked about the ways he tried to solve it in his own human effort, which is what we do. We have these problems we try to solve. And so he got a great big German shepherd. He got him, he said, I couldn't wait. It was coming in on the next plane. He said, I'm gonna keep them from stealing stuff. And so he had this great big German shepherd and of course, it worked. The problem was the, the natives, they were so scared of it, they wouldn't come around. And so now they had no ministry, because they had no people. Because they wouldn't come around, they were scared of the dog. And the wife said, I can't get anybody to even come to the clinic because they're scared of the dog. He said, okay, so I'll tie the dog up. But he, he said, all we had were vines, so the dog could chew through it in a few minutes. And his wife said, this isn't gonna work, because she said, they're so tense, they're bending the needles, you know, because they're afraid "The quick, quick, you gotta give me the shot before the dog gets loose. And, and so all of this is going on as he's sharing this story. And then he plants pineapples, and he's so looking forward to eating these pineapples. But they stole them while they were green. He said, I never got a pineapple. Never got a pineapple. They stole them when they were still green. Never would let them ripen. And he's fussing, and he's angry, and he's mad about it. And I'm not going to tell you all the end of the story. It's really a great story and a message, really, more than a story, just a life message. But one of the things that he said in there has always stood out to me. I smile and hurt at the same time every time I think about it. He said that in the process of God teaching him how to lay down and surrender everything in his life. And God began to change his heart and change him on the inside and deal with his anger, deal with his stinginess. But as God was doing that, one day one of the one of the natives there that he was kind of close to, that he had developed a certain rapport with, came to him and they called him Tuwan. That was the name they called him. They said, Tuwan. He said, Yeah. He said, We are so happy Tuwan has become Christian. That's the missionary. Missionary is Tuwan. <laughs> <laughs> Tuwan has become Christian. <laughs> he said, I didn't like that very much. And I started to respond in an angry way, but the Holy Spirit stopped me. And so I just simply asked, Why would you say that? He said, well, you would read to us out of your Bible, you would tell us about this Jesus and how loving he is and about his followers and how kind they are and how gracious they are and we always hoped and we said to one another, it will be great one day if we could meet one of these Christians. <laughs> Otto said, I didn't sleep that night. If folks were honest with us, people who are lost, that we have any kind of connection with, would they say the same thing? I really hope to meet one of those Christians one day that you talk about. You see, as we've been going through Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says in verse 22, he says, put off this old way of life. Put it off. Verse 24, he says, put on this new way of life, this, because of the spirit in you and, and because you have been sealed, because you have been filled, because you have life eternal now residing within you, a power that is beyond your imagination. He says, because of all that, put off this old Put on the new. And then he begins to give us some things, and there's some natural things we say, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of them are very visible things. For example, he says, don't lie. Put off lying and falsehood. Put on truth-telling. Okay, well that's a visible sort of thing. We kind of, we pick up pretty quickly if someone's lying to us or they consistently lie to us as opposed to tell us the truth. That's a visible thing usually that we can see. He says, put off anger. This kind of boiling, seething anger. Now that could be hidden. We don't always show our anger. Sometimes we can have it and keep it hidden underneath. So it's harder to see. But he's saying you put off that anger and then later on that's when he's going to tell us but be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. He says put off holding that grudge. Put that off. Put on forgiveness. Put off your greed and selfishness, put on giving and generosity. A lot of these things are visible that you can see. But then he gets on down to verse 31, and he dives deeper into the real issue. Because see, the issue isn't just changing our outward behavior. It isn't doing some different things on the outside. How many of you have ever heard the little prayer? I've I've heard many preachers use it through the year, but it's a great example. I don't even know if it's true, but it's a good example. The little boy who prays the prayer, God, would you make the bad people good and the good people nice? (laughs) Often, we claim this name of Christ, but we don't look like him. And so people like those natives are saying, we really hope one day we'll get to see one of these Christians you're talking about. I'm not talking about perfection. None of us have arrived at it. I am talking about a continuous journey where we are being transformed from the inside out. That attitudes are being changed more than just a focus on actions. Because you and I have lived long enough, we've discovered actions change when attitudes change. And if attitudes don't change, our actions will reflect... What's on the inside? There's no way around it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to change your words? Change your heart. Want to change how you act? Change what's underneath. But the problem is, I can't change it. It's a mess down there. Or in there. Or wherever it is. It's a mess. Holy Spirit then comes and he resides in us and he says I know you can't but I can if you'll surrender I can I can take and he goes through this whole list of things that are really inward in many ways in verse 31 bitterness that's a hateful resentful attitude towards someone else you don't have to voice it just the attitude resentful hateful I just don't like you And it may be for reason, it may be for cause. A lot of times it is, because we are human beings and we hurt one another. I'm not saying there's not cause, but the attitude is still there. Wrath is an explosion of anger. It's usually more visible. Wrath is rage. Anger is more the inward seething, boiling, resentful inside. Then it says clamor. Clamor is loud, boisterous, beat them down with my mouth kind of thing tear them up scream at holler at give them a piece of my mind you get the picture you probably know somebody who's done i know you've never done that but you probably know somebody who's done that all right he says put all that away and slander now slander. Doesn't have to be loud and boisterous. Slander is I want to hurt you with words. And it can be very quiet. It can be very subtle. It can even be kind of backdoorish gossip rumor spreading. Defaming in some way. But it's not loud and boisterous and out of control. Like the clamor is. It can be very subtle. But it's designed to be injurious. And then malice. Malice means I just want you to hurt. I want you to experience pain physically, emotionally, any way you can. I want you to hurt. That's malice. You say, Troy, Christians don't do that. You've been around a different group of Christians than I have. Because we do that. We may not want to do that. We may have made promises to God a hundred times that we're going to do better. I'm going to quit doing that but we do it. I saw an interview with um, Aaron Rodgers this week. Um, If you know who Aaron Rodgers is, he's quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, gonna be in the Hall of Fame, great quarterback. Um, He was talking about his Christian upbringing and where he is in his spirituality now. And there's a lot there that, again, I don't want to judge what he said because it was a four-and-a-half-minute interview. And I like to—I would hate for people to judge me on four-and-a-half minutes of anything I've ever said without actually having a conversation with me. So I'm not going to do that to him. I don't think it's fair. But there were some interesting things in what he said that I think as believers we have to stop and at least pay attention to. And he said he was part growing up, he was in church on Sunday, but then he was in Young Life on Monday, and if you're not familiar with Young Life, it's kind of a, a Christian organization, and, uh, especially among high school students, college students. And, but he said it seemed so different in Young Life on Monday than it was on Sunday. On Monday, anybody could come, it didn't really matter. On Sunday, at least where he was, well there were certain people, they just knew they weren't welcome. Or if they came, they were going to get certain looks. There was, it was much more external in his experience on Sunday. And he found, said, I didn't really, re- I didn't resonate with it. I didn't connect with all of this external thing that didn't seem to make a whole lot of difference internally. Now again, I don't know where he is in his walk with God. It's not mine to judge all that. And I'm not going to base it on four and a half minutes. But I will say that there's a valid point that all of us must wrestle with. Is does our walk... Six days a week, line up with the things that we declare in our worship on this day. Does it? I can't answer that for you. It's hard enough to answer it for me, but we've got to wrestle with it. And so what Paul is saying to them, what he's challenging them with, what I'm challenging you with this morning, and believe it or not, I am almost done. (laughs) Because I don't need to talk a whole lot about this. The Holy Spirit has to talk to us. I can't fix you because I can't fix me. But I know what it is to be bitter. I thank God by his grace at this moment, I can't think of anyone that I'm bitter toward at this moment. And if I am, I'm confident he's going to show me. I know what it is to be bitter. I know what it is to be unforgiving. I know what it is to lay awake and think of ways that I could hurt someone who's hurt me. I know what that is. And so does the Apostle Paul. He understands it. Here's a guy who spent his life in the name of religion trying to kill or imprison people who were followers of Christ. And then he comes to Christ, and nobody trusts him because of what he's done and who he was. And we know from his own testimony in Romans chapter seven that there was all of these things that the Holy Spirit was telling him he needed to do that should be he should be putting off one thing, putting on as he talks about here in Ephesians. And yet he says, "The good things that I want to do, I don't do, and the bad things that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing." That was his testimony. I relate to that. So I want to give you just a couple very simple things here in this process. Because they're right here in the scripture. Number one, don't start by trying to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. Do not start because that's not the first step. That's not the first thing that he says here here's what we do we come in we hear a message like this we think God brings to mind because he's faithful to do that and so I'm thinking of so and so and I'm resentful toward them I don't like them very much they've hurt me I mean I've forgiven them we just don't talk that'll preach all by itself So we have these internal things that are going on relationally. And we're wanting so much to be a Christian. We're wanting so much to look like Jesus. But this internal stuff is having external ramifications. And so we get to a point where I get comfortable with the idea that I can be a Christian and I can be resentful at the same time. We get comfortable with the idea that I can be a Christian and unforgiving at the same time. That I can do both. That's okay. I mean, there's just some people you like better than others. You know, it's just how it is. And Which, that is, I'm sure that is true. We all have personalities, and we all have quirks, and we all have preferences, and sure, all of that fits in there. We're not talking about being best buds with everybody in your life, we're talking about this internal transformation that says, I don't resent you anymore. I don't see you coming and run the other way. I don't see you coming and then it just boils up within me and I feel like a tea kettle that's about to boil over. I don't just hear your voice and think, oh, if you would just shut up. See, that's, that's real. That's life. That's the internal stuff. But the problem is, is that we get comfortable with it and even get to a place and say, you know what? I don't really think it's all that bad. You know, I know Jesus probably wouldn't do it, but he's Jesus. Come on, I'm not Jesus. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying that the Spirit of God which rested upon Jesus there when he was baptized at the Jordan and which led him every step of his earthly ministry. The Spirit of God that was, that was part of his conception in the womb, that brought about his conception and that was so powerful with him when Jesus was in the womb that when he came into the presence of John the Baptist who was still in the womb, he leapt for joy and it says he was filled with the Spirit from birth. The Spirit of God was upon John the Baptist just because of the encounter with Jesus. So we're talking about that same Spirit that was with Jesus all on the way, that led him, that he sought out, is the same Spirit that he just said has sealed us, is in us. God, the Holy Spirit, he's there. And he's not okay with me resenting you or hating you or just finding every way i can to avoid you he's not okay with that he's not okay with me talking about you behind your back he's not okay with that he's not okay with me chewing you out to your face either don't get proud i don't talk behind their back i tell them to their face that's not any better if it's not love So what does Paul say before he says to be kind, tenderhearted and forgiving? He says, put away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, slander and malice. Put them away. In other words, make a a clean sweep of it and come to the place where you say, this is not right. It's not justifiable. It's not Christ. You say, Troy, you do not know what they did to me. You're right, I don't. You're absolutely right. I do not know the depth of what they did to you. And I am not minimizing it or saying it doesn't matter. I'm not. I'm just simply saying that you and I cannot be transformed from the inside if we do not put away the belief that says it's okay for me to stay bitter. It's okay for me to stay unforgiving. It's okay for me to slander. It's okay for me to talk badly to them, to their face. It's okay for me to desire their hurt and their harm. It's okay. You must start there by putting that away, by the power of the Spirit in you. I surrender you to you, Holy Spirit, and right now I am so angry with this person, but I don't have a right to that anger. I surrender that right, I give it to you, I put it away. But you're gonna have to do a work because I realize I can say those words but my heart's still pretty angry. So Lord, I'm trusting you. That's where he begins to do this work because what I love about the Holy Spirit is that he is God and he can do anything that he wants to but he doesn't force us, he doesn't make us, he's gentle. He comes along and he opens our eyes and he teaches and he instructs and he empowers. And he calls us and he invites us to say, respond to me. (coughs) I told you what the things were that we put off, what they mean. Kind means to be kind. That's what it means. There's no special deep meaning to it. It means to be kind. Do you know what kindness looks like? You experience kindness, it gives you a picture. It means I'm gracious with someone. I'm giving to someone. I'm encouraging someone. Giving doesn't have to be material. We always think material. But I can give of myself. I can give of my time. I can give of my words. I can give of my thought. Every time someone comes to me and says, would you pray about this? I have a choice to make. Will I be kind? Will I take time and energy and thought and press in and say, Lord, how do you want me to pray about this and for them? It takes kindness. And I have to decide, Lord, will I allow you by your spirit to stir kindness in me? Or do I just simply say, yeah, sure, and move on? Tender-hearted means I care about what happens to you. I'm tender, my heart's sensitive towards you. I care about it. I care about you. Forgiving. I love the definition (coughs) that they use in caring for the heart. I think it's simple but straight to the point. Is forgiveness is my willingness to bear for you (laughs) the pain, the hurt that you did in my life, I'm willing to take that and give it to Jesus and never again lay it to your account. Never again charge you with it. Never again make you pay. Never again say, you know what? You haven't paid enough yet to fulfill that debt because I took your debt and I went straight to Jesus with it. I said, Jesus, you know how much this hurts not, but I bring it to you. You have paid for it. You have dealt with it and I will not lay it to their charge again. Now, if somebody takes my place in line, that's one level of forgiveness. Somebody kills my child, that's another level of forgiveness. Somebody breaks my heart when I've given them everything, that's another level of forgiveness. Someone embarrasses me, mocks me, ridicules me, exposes me. That's another level of forgiveness. I mean, there are all different things. When we talk about forgiveness, there are all kinds of levels in this. But it doesn't really matter. All of them have one directive here in the Scripture. Forgive in the same way that Jesus forgave you, or that God in Christ forgave you. How did he do that? Well... He... You know, they're not repentant at all, Troy. They're not sorry. Were you sorry when Jesus died for your sin? Were you sorry at any point in your life, up until the point he made you aware that you needed him as a savior? Were you sorry? Were you repentant until he made you? I I love it sometimes we say, you know, I did this, I repented. You didn't do anything until God made you aware of what you needed to do. Until his grace, he forgave you before you ever did anything. He gave you love before you ever knew you needed love. He says, forgive the same way I forgave you. While we were yet sinners, Romans 5 says, Christ died for us. Amen. That's a big one I get when I talk to people. They're not repentant. If they just show a little bit of remorse, then maybe I could forgive them. It wouldn't matter. It would still hurt. It might help a little bit, but it would still hurt. You still, there's still a supernatural work that has to take place. You say, well, there should be a certain amount of time. Otherwise, they feel like they're getting off scot-free. Oh, so now you're the dispenser of justice. There's only one true and just judge. He dispenses justice, not you and me. Forgive as he forgave you. No strings attached. No, if you do this, this, and this. And if you ever mess up again in the future, well, all bets are off. It's over and done at that point. Would you like God to apply that standard to you? Now again, I understand that there are different situations and there are different things in relationship as we and there's sin that enters in and has to be dealt with and I get that and I'm not minimizing it. I am talking simply today about this deep attitude, this adjustment that God wants, this transformation he wants to do in our heart. And it is without condition. Without strings attached. Would people, if we were in Papua New Guinea, would the natives come and say, I hear your teaching and your talk about Jesus and Christians and I sure hope i meet one someday. It's easy to say this and... If it works, this is a little short video i don 't know that there would be anything harder. it probably is there probably are i shouldn 't compare them, but this one ranks up there as very, very difficult I, a number of years uh, n- actually a number of weeks ago months ago, I saw a little video clip of the trial and really the sen- at the sentencing the the opportunity they gave to victims to speak to Larry Nasser, the the doctor who abused all those young girls for years, those young gymnasts. And allowed each one of them to have the opportunity to speak. And at one point in what I was watching, and it's painful, it's heart-wrenching as they're as they're speaking to him and sharing their hurts and their wounds and all these things. And there was a father of three girls who had been abused by by Larry Nasser. And Big strong guy. He was wearing an IBEW shirt, you know, working man. IBEW, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. If you don't know what that stands for, um, or when we were kids growing up, there was a baseball team. We called them Itty Bitty Earthworms. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. They were sponsored by IBEW. Um, a little trash talking at the ten-year-old ten level, um, but so. He asked the judge, can a father speak? And she allowed it. And so he begins to cuss at him. And she stops and says, sir, sir, I understand your emotion, but we can't, you can't do that. And so he turns to the judge and he says, would you give me five minutes, judge, in a, in a locked room, just me and this man? <laughs> just five minutes. And she said, sir. And, and he goes, and he realized she's not going to do that. And he goes, judge, just one minute. I don't need five minutes. Just give me one minute alone in a locked room with this man. And she goes, sir, you know I can't do that. And so he just explodes and he takes off for him there in the courtroom. And of course there's sheriffs and deputies and I mean, boom, they tackle him and they're pinning him and it's the five or six of them to hold him down and try to restrain him and they get him in cuffs and arrest him and they bring him back into court later and the judge doesn't, they bring no charges against him. She says, I understand the emotion of this. I understand that. I understand that you heard some things even today in court that you had not heard before about what was done. I understand all of that. But we cannot, we can't do this. We can't behave this way. And she reproves him, but he's not charged. And we understand that. I get it. If I'm in his shoes, somebody does that to my daughters, I want to hurt them. Sure, we understand that, right? It makes sense. I'll tell you what doesn't make sense is what this father did. Can we show that? Mr. Ridgeway, um, there are people here that hate you. I'm not one of them. You've, You've made it difficult to live up to what I believe. And that is what God says to do, and that's to Forgive. You are forgiven, sir. That, if you don't know who that is, that was a number of years ago. That was Gary, Gary Ridgway, who was known as the Green River murderer. It's estimated he killed roughly 50 women, abused them, killed them. The man who spoke lost his 16-year-old daughter to Gary Ridgway. And I'll be honest with you, I've watched that, I've seen it a number of times, and I think, Lord, I don't know how you do that. And then I'm reminded again, we don't. We don't. The Spirit of God does something. If I'll surrender, if I will put away my belief that I can hang on to this old way of life, then the Holy Spirit says, I'll do something you could never do. I want you to bow your heads with me. My challenge to you today, as you go to the Lord and ask him, what are you saying to me? My challenge to you is forgive and live. Forgive and live. we often feel like that our resentment our bitterness our unforgiveness is hurting the other person the offender sometimes they don't even know and often don't care so it actually just destroys me I don't know your story I mean some of your stories I know but many of you I don't I don't know all the things that are done to you. And I am not here today to say it's not important, that it's meaningless. It is very meaningful. What you have felt and what you have experienced. I'm here to declare to you the only truth that I know that the Bible teaches is that God's answer to all of that hurt and all that pain is to surrender it and let him transform you to forgive and live. It has been my experience, I'm sure all of us are different in certain ways, that with really deep wounds, sometimes it's a process of forgiveness. It's like an onion. There are different layers, and every time you take one off, there's more tears. So that may be, you may have said, you know, I did forgive, but still there. Then you keep going through the process again. You say, Lord, here I am again. It hurts. I've forgiven. I did what you said but it hurts. And you listen for him to speak. You watch for him to move. Watch him grab hold of your heart in ways you never imagined. Have him give you words and songs and pictures of who he is and how he feels about you. I will tell you this, the deepest wounds in my life today are simply memories they do not control me by his grace and by his power they do not control me i still remember them <laughs> that's unrealistic to think you won't but they don't dictate my ever waking moment or my unconscious ones as a matter of fact god does such a work there that i can think back on them and i can actually see his hand you say, I'm not there yet. I know. I know what that feels like too. And my encouragement to you is don't stop. Don't quit too soon. Don't give up. If you need help with it, if you need someone to walk with you, there are folks within our church who do that. Both professionally, and just lay people, just normal ones of us. We walk alongside. We we can't fix it for you, but we can walk with you to the one who does. That's why we pray so much around here. Because I believe no one can fix you and me but Jesus. So we go to him. Why go anywhere else? He's the only one that can help. I think of that woman in scripture, it says she spent all she had going to doctors one after another, please fix me, please fix me, please help me, and they couldn't. She spent everything she had. And finally in desperation she comes to Jesus and he heals her. I think of that so often we do that in different ways. We look, look for solutions everywhere else until we've exhausted everything. It's like, well, I guess I'll try Jesus, I got nothing left. Why didn't we start there? One of the reasons we don't start there is because we have to humble ourselves. We have to surrender to do it. We have to do it on his terms. And I don't like doing it on his terms. I want to do it on my terms. Lord, help us today. Help the ones here. All of us, Lord. This isn't a message for one or two because all of us experience this. We all have. We will. Hurt is normal and natural part of human relationship. Some of it's intentional, some of it's unintentional. But Lord, today we come. By your grace, I again, I surrender and I put off the belief that I have the right to be resentful and bitter. That I have the right to, to wrath, to rage. That I have the right to be angry. That I have the right to tell people off with my tongue, my mouth. Or to slander them behind their back that I have the right to to imagine ways that they could hurt so they could feel some of the pain they've caused. I surrender. I put off the belief that I have a right to that, that it will help, that it will fix me, that it will matter, because it doesn't. I surrender and say, Holy Spirit, here I am. Change me. So the outside reflects what you're doing on the inside so that others will look as we looked at this father who forgave Gary Ridgway, and we would be amazed at your power and your grace and your love help us Lord to look like that look like you they're going to lead us into a worship song and as they're doing that prayer partners are going to kind of move while they're singing or as soon as they finish singing if we can pray with you about anything in your life and again I realize there's heavy stuff that goes on in people's life I am not minimizing that please hear me I know it's heavy and humanly speaking, if I heard your story, I'd say you have every right to feel the way you do. But we're talking about something that's supernatural, not human. We're talking about God and what he does and who he is, not what we can do. And so we love to be able to pray with you, and the prayer partners will be here. We'll pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. And you say, I can't even pray. I, I, I made a point right now, I can't even pray about Then let's pray for you. That's okay. I've been there. How many have been there where you can't even pray? I've been there. We've been there. So let someone go for you, go with you. Pray on your behalf until God gives you the grace to be able to do it. Lord, help us in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.